Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Thursday, May 12th, and today Dylan Byers stops by to talk about CNN's new leader, Chris Licht, and his new management style as he tries to position the network and himself as different from his predecessor, Jeff Zucker. And later on in the show, our newest Puck correspondent, Tara Palmieri, joins us with an update on what's really going on in Washington. We'll hear about all that and more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. Happy Thursday, Puckiverse, Puck Universe. I still don't know what to call you guys. Please send me some ideas. Uh, I'm joined today by Dylan Byers. We are going to talk about CNN. But before we get into that, I just want to mention briefly to listeners, um, Dylan and I talked last week, I think, about his trip to Italy and how much he loved Negronis. Once we got off the recording, you talked about your essential hangover cure, which I feel like our listeners need to hear because I really loved it. Can you say what it is? Oh, yeah. It's oddly harder to remember when I'm not hungover. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it was Anthony Bourdain's hangover cure. And it was an aspirin, uh, Coca-Cola, spicy Sichuan food, and a joint. I love that. Yeah. Not necessarily in that order. I might actually come to think of it, I would reverse the order. You go joint, Szechuan food. Yeah, because then the Szechuan food tastes better, and then you have a base, then you have the, the Coke to wash it down, <laughs> and then you have a base for the aspirin so you don't upset your stomach. That's smart. I love a not diet, a sugary Coke, preferably out of soda fountain when I'm hungover. So I just wanted to relay that to the audience. I have a theory. My theory is that if we just talked about this for 10 minutes instead of CNN, it would be a lot more interesting. <laughs> it would be. No, okay. We're going to make CNN interesting. No, it actually is interesting. You know what? The truth is the story of what's happening at CNN right now is actually really fascinating because all of this change and this chaos that it has been through is setting the stage for a really interesting experiment, which is mm -hmm. when you have MSNBC on the left and Fox News on the right, and, and CNN is the only global 24-hour news network that at least aspires toward being nonpartisan and now under Chris Licht wants to be, in his words, reflective of the broad political spectrum of the entire nation. Can you do that in these hyper-polarized times? And can you make it relevant at a time when the entire business model of linear television is in decline. So for the real puckheads out there, John and I talked on Media Monday about Dylan's piece about Chris Licht, the new president of CNN. He's coming in with a deliberately different leadership style. Jeff ran the network every single day with a morning call that everyone listened into and everyone hung on his word. And it was sort of like the voice of God every morning. Uh, is Chris doing anything like that? No. So Chris is taking an entirely different tack. Jeff Zucker had his office right in the middle of the newsroom, both at the Time Warner building and at Hudson Yards, led the 9 a.m. call. He would get on the phone with the control room if he saw something he didn't like or something he thought needed to change. I wouldn't say that he kept an open door policy for people to just walk in and out, but he made himself available to top talent and, and to a lot of people in the newsroom. 
and he gave everyone the impression that he was with them in the trenches, that he had their back, and that he was on their side. And Chris Licht is coming in making some very different symbolic moves, which is he, he spent two weeks in Jeff Zucker's old office, and then he decided to move up to the corporate floor away from the newsroom. He won't be leading the 9 a.m. call. And he has made a very clear point that he doesn't want to have this direct one-on-one relationship with everyone where someone comes to him with a question or request and he just approves it. And then someone in the, in the middle of that org chart gets to learn later that something's been approved that they didn't even know about. He wants everything to go through a very clear chain of command. Now, what I think Chris Licht would say is, look, just because I'm doing this differently doesn't mean I'm not going to be involved. I just want to respect the chain of command. And by the way, my corporate office isn't really that far away from the newsroom. But all of that said, these very symbolic gestures that were very intentional have left a lot of people at CNN kind of perplexed and in in some cases anxious because this is a time after the sudden ouster of Jeff Zucker, after being rudderless for several months, this is a time when they actually feel like, oh my God, we've never needed a leader more. What's the reception to all of this? Like, does Zaslav care? I think that Zaslav really, really likes Chris Licht, has for a long time. And I don't think Chris Licht would have made any of these big decisions without a certain sense of approval. But I do think that there are a lot of people who are skeptical about whether or not that approach can work and who believe that when push comes to shove and the egos of of CNN are making all their various demands, that at a certain point, Chris might actually have to come down from the corporate floor and just be a constant presence in the newsroom and taking more leadership of that morning meeting. It's really hard to be hands-off there. A lot of reporters, a lot of anchors, a lot of quote-unquote talent, these people are insecure. Totally insecure. You know, and they need a pat on the back. The insecurity part is really important, and it actually, do not assume that the most popular people who have their own shows on CNN are any less insecure than the rank and file and the people who are working down on like the digital desk. Everyone has a certain degree of insecurity at an organization of 4,500 people. When you're at CNN, you're constantly wondering, how am I doing? Am I going to get more airtime? Are my pieces doing well? Am I doing the things that my bosses want me to do? Am I adding value? When you've got somebody who's in the newsroom who's telling you, who's looking you in the face and saying, this is great work, you should think about doing this, or you turn your attention to this, or, or, or says, I, I want to make sure you get on TV tomorrow, that is a very different thing than trying to guess and make assumptions about what the guy sitting up on the corporate floor is thinking about how you're doing and who is transmitting his thoughts through Michael Bass who is not actually responsible for the entirety of the organization. You know, the story of CNN is a story about a lot of things. It's about trustworthiness and the integrity of journalism, Cuomo scandal, stuff like that. It is all of these things, but it is also a study in management. The management style of Jeff Zucker that inspired immense loyalty from all of the recognizable names at CNN, all of the household names at CNN, And it's also a study in the mismanagement of Jason Kyler, who, whether or not you support his decision to get rid of Jeff Zucker, made a terrible miscalculation in understanding how the network would respond to it. And so management and management style and leadership 
are integral to the success of both CNN and its parent company. David Zaslav is a very hands-on and involved leader, some would argue almost to a fault. But Chris Lick, by electing to at least telegraph that he is not going to be a hands-on leader, I think runs the risk of alienating some corners of the newsroom. And I think that's what people are going to be watching very closely for the next few weeks. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back after this. last question I want to ask you on this stuff is we've talked a lot about the internal workings of CNN and Warner Brothers Discovery over the last few months. Chris has only been in there a couple weeks now, but have you watched any CNN or noticed if you have, if its tone has changed at all? The news, just the straight news report is during daytime, at least, is kind of back. It is a responsible do no harm, just the facts kind of operation. What people have pointed my attention to, which I think is significant, which I think we are going to see more of, is in the wake, for instance, of the Roe v. Wade news that Politico broke, they've had guests on who are pro-life, who are pro the decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. And I think that is reflective of what Chris Lick's grand strategy is, which to bring our conversation full circle is what has me so excited about covering CNN right now, is we live in very polarized times and the tolerance for opposing views, especially on such third rail topics as abortion, it's really hard to serve as a platform for that discussion. And MSNBC goes in one direction, Fox goes in the other. If Chris Licht can actually create a network that can have really interesting conversations between opposing viewpoints that are respectful and nuanced and that go against sort of the orthodoxy of the right and the left, as well as just sort of like our conventional wisdom and groupthink about a lot of these issues, I'm not saying that's going to change the world. I'm not going to say it's necessarily even going to improve democracy, but I think it will make for some really interesting and thoughtful programming. And so... As skeptical as I am about his leadership style, as much as I think he's in over his head a little bit because he's used to running shows where he had a staff of like 60 or 70 people, not not 4,500, I'm rooting for him because I, I want to see what this experiment looks like and I want it to work. And I do actually think it will be better for political debate in this country if he can succeed. We will talk soon, Dylan. Keep up the good work. Okay, man. Thank you, Peter. Uh, we appreciate you. I appreciate you. Now let's take a quick minute to see what's going on with Tara Palmieri on Herbie right now. Thanks, Peter. So this week, I'm really digging into this idea that Biden is being walled off from his donors, supporters, and just outside Democratic operatives who have a lot to say about his administration. And this is becoming a louder refrain because of the fact that his polling numbers are so low. And a lot of people feel like they are leading from behind in terms of politically. Their indecision on Title 42. There's also just a feeling that like he hasn't been out there enough on Roe v. Wade. And also in general, just the fact that his numbers are low. So there's a lot of complaining in DC that Biden is walled off. He's a social creature. He's like 
Bill Clinton. He's energized by outsiders. He likes asking them for feedback. He wants to hear from outside of his inner circle, but that he's just not really getting a lot of opportunities to do that. The White House, for the most part, has been closed off to visitors. And some people question if um, his inner circle, like Chief of Staff Ron Klain, are using COVID restrictions as a way to sort of protect Biden from outsiders or really wall him off. And, you know, it's it's a decent question. I heard that at the St. Patrick's Day party, he was, there were donors there, there were supporters, and he was really enjoying it and he was really lit up. But there is the risk with Biden that if he's allowed to just sort of mix and mingle, he might say something that's gaff worthy. It might make it into the press. And there's just a lot of concern that he is being kept away from the world, essentially, that he doesn't really have an opinion outside of his advisors. And essentially, that's what his advisors would want. That's a good chief of staff. The problem with Donald Trump was he'd pick up the phone and call his friends all the time. He really used the power and asked them for advice over his own chief of staff. And these people weren't necessarily dialed into all the different variables and issues. Then on top of that, um, you know, he was just freelancing for information from anybody, really. could be an intern. But some say he was more politically in touch because of that. And sometimes being in a tower like Rapunzel, you don't necessarily get a good idea of how people are feeling on the ground or how your policies are going over. Is it purposeful? Is it truly because they're trying to protect him from COVID? Or is there no apologies? This is exactly what a chief of staff should be doing. Uh, Definitely read the Washington Mall today. It comes out on Thursday. And you'll get to read the full story. There's a lot more to it as well. So hopefully by then I'll have a response from Klain as to what his thinking is. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Peter Hamby. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, and Chris Corcoran, chief content officer and founding partner of Cadence 13. 